I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in, and enjoy. Mallory Rush, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. I'm so excited to be here. How are you? I I firstly want to say congratulations on your book, Inspired to Recover. I I have it here. I'm just for my listeners. <laughs> I'm showing showing this book. I could not put this book down. Who is this book for? This book is for not only the addict, but the family members who are ready to give up. It's for the mom that misses her child. It's for the brother and sister that don't want to watch their sibling die. Um, So many people are trying to answer the question, what is addiction? And addiction is just a symptom. The cause is what people aren't focusing on. And that that can be found very early on um for me my underlying causes were the absence of my father my mom's um alcoholism and just the thoughts in my head of you're not good enough you don't fit in um all i ever wanted was to be accepted and i felt that if my own dad didn't want me you know why would anyone else um i started wondering what is my purpose why am i here like what what difference does it make that i'm here and those thoughts unless they are acknowledged early on they can't be rewired and they cause such a disaster um beyond the mind right like our 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 thoughts become our beliefs and our beliefs become our actions and I didn't know how to deal or cope with the things that I was going through at home at such an early age that I did what everyone else my age was doing and I just wanted to fit in and and it it worked for a while um but obviously the end of addiction is never a positive one I resonate with you so much my father left us when I was 4 for another woman and he never returned and my mom became a 24 years old uh mother of two during the russian economic depression i remember myself at 24 i was still a baby it's like a baby's having a babies and i had to grow up very fast and i didn't realize how much trauma it it uh um gave me the the uh the fear of abandonment even i didn't realize at those at those time that i had it and i was so close to my mom because she raised me until i was 10 by herself and so i love her 
I can't I can't even explain how much I love her. And I know you've been so close with your mom. How did mo your mom's alcohol alcoholism impact your life? What I know now that I didn't know then, you know, when I was younger, I was very angry at her. Um, I always wondered, you know, how do you not love me more than you love the alcohol? Why are you doing these things? And it caused a lot of resentment, um, made me grow up fast, like you were talking about. Um, but now I look back knowing what I know, and we all have our demons. And my mom's alcoholism put me in situations that were not always the safest. She had a fear of abandonment too. Um, and I think most women that have that, for some reason it tends to um, reel in men that we feel this desperation to get acceptance by, um, to validate our self-worth, to validate our self-love and to, and to reassure us that we're good enough to be wanted. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm that aspect played not only in her addiction, but also later on in mine. Um, it was really hard because I was, I'm the youngest of five girls, but I was basically the only child in the house because the others are a lot older than me. And my closest sister, her dad and her are very close. So she got to go to his house when things were bad at home, um, which caused me to start resenting her. Like, how could you have left me? you know? Um, but I also struggled very much with codependency at a very early age. Um, I wanted to protect my mom. I didn't want to see the reality of what was going on. Um, I made excuses all the time and I did my best to be her mom in some situations. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely so glad she's out of it now. Did you forgive your mom? It took a long time. Um, I blamed her for a very long time. And I had to, I think the real forgiveness for me came from when I was in a situation that I went to alcohol for and I was sitting by a toilet, throwing my guts up, trying to cope with what I was going through or feeling. And in that moment, like, I was like, holy crap. Like, I get it. I get why you did it. Like, sometimes your demons are so strong that you just don't know what to do and, or who to turn to. And you feel alone. Like abandonment just creates this, again, this full belief system that, that traps you to keep coping the wrong way. And uh, so, yeah, I think also once I had kids, um, that gave me a very forgiving heart too. Um, my mom was a great mom that was battling demons within herself that I was too young to understand. And so, um, yeah, I definitely forgive my mom and I'm so thankful for everything I went through because if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be the strong-minded survivor I am today. 
And I just did a speaking engagement the other day um, to a group of women. And that was kind of the subject was, how do you find your purpose? And for me, I never thought I'd be a speaker or an author ever write a book. But everything in my life, looking back now, was meant to happen and happened for an important reason. It made me who I am. It gave me the experience. It gave me knowledge. It gave me the open heart, um, the empathy for people. And uh, yeah, I mean, without, without every single thing I've been through, I wouldn't be making the impact I am today. So definitely forgive my mom. And she's my best friend. I'm so glad this story has a happy ending. And you are uh, a mom of two gorgeous girls now. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's it's crazy. I I couldn't imagine now being a mom going through what I put my mom through. Like that is definitely something that I'm working on now is being and doing the things that I needed as a child for my own kids. And that's, you know, open communication, um, security, stability, um, but also the other aspect of boundaries. And I want my kids to see how hard I work for what I love. And I want them to see me hold my ground, you know, if, if I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. um, because I want them to have that strong ability to protect themselves as well when they get older, when they face things like this, because they will, mm -hmm. it's inevitable. Mallory, I would love to dive in to your story. How is a great, gorgeous girl <laughs> went into the alcohol addiction? I loved school. That was my getaway from what I was experiencing at home. And um, my mom's addiction started getting pretty bad by the time I was 13. And um, I ended up living with my aunt for a little while. Genevieve. Mm -hmm. Yep. Genevieve. And switching schools and stuff overnight, which was huge for me. Um, but my mom needed help and she needed to be able to do that without me, you know, there. Um, so I'd go to school. I was a straight A student. I felt like if I was a great student, then no one would be able to see all of the flaws that I saw within myself or my life. And I wouldn't be judged for that. Um, so I got into everything I could, honor roll yearbook, you know, student council, um, cheerleading. And my grades were so good, I was able to start going to the college toward my the beginning of my junior year, and the college credits would uh, roll over for my high school and I could graduate early. Well, that was not good for someone that was in the mindset that I was in. Um, before I knew it, I was with college friends that were much older than me. And I, again, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted and loved. And whatever they were doing, I was 100% FOMO. That fear of missing out has put me in some pretty bad situations because um, I didn't know how to set boundaries for myself. And I ended up falling for a boy. And we started drinking weekend after weekend after weekend. By the time I was 16, the alcohol quickly went from weed 
to oxycodone and even further into intravenous use of meth and heroin. Um, I loved or wanted to be loved by this boy so badly that one day at a party, he pulled out a blue pill and he said, here, take this. I had a pretty big headache. The weed and the beer were mixing and I was a mess. And I took the pill and very quickly I realized the power of that blue pill did everything that the alcohol and the weed did, but more. I no longer felt insecure. I no longer felt um, less than. And I didn't have to think about what my mom was doing or what I was going on, what was going on at home. So I started spending every day with him. I very soon within months of starting an oxycodone addiction, um, started missing classes, started being late to school. Um, and my education just started going downhill. I got kicked off the cheerleading team and I just kind of gave up. I gave up on trying to be perfect. I struggled with that perfectionism of, I want people to see me one way. You know, I, I wasn't in alignment at all. And I felt like I was living two lives. I was one way at school. I was one way at home. And um, before I knew it, the opiate pandemic happened here in Las Vegas. And the boy that I was with ended up getting five prescriptions of oxycodone from five different doctors by forging papers um, for a medical diagnosis of a spine injury. So each pill bottle was 300 pills and we were filling five of those a month. Um, obviously we tried to sell things, get money, right? Make a lot of money doing this. Um, but when you're an addict that's as deep as I was, emotionally, mentally, and physically, I was getting high on my own supply and I was using more than I was selling and so was he. Mm -hmm. um, so if then about six months later, the opiate pandemic happened and all the doctors were getting fired and um, checked, all their records were getting checked um, for prescriptions that shouldn't have been given. And so that day, I remember waking up that morning, we were about to go to Vegas to fill the prescriptions. And one by one, every doctor called us saying, we no longer can fill your prescription. Um, fear set in at that point. We were doing probably about seven a day, seven to 10 a day. And we had about 12 hours until we were gonna withdraw if we didn't find something. Started calling everyone, started trying to find everything, but everyone was keeping what they had because of the same fear of the withdrawal. And for those of you who don't know what withdrawal feels like, it's hell. It's, I sat in the shower shaking and throwing up and cold and hot and sweats and I couldn't breathe I couldn't sleep um I just felt like I was dying and uh my boyfriend's brother at the time said hey like I can I can get you something that'll make you better and we're like okay please like anything um his brother ended up bringing back a bee of heroin which at the time I didn't know what it was but again, my boyfriend was like, Mal, like, it'll make us better. It's fine. Um, right when I took the first, right when I used that for the first time, I knew I was a heroin addict. Um, I did everything oxycodone did. 
plus and it was cheaper. So very quickly, our oxycodone addiction became a heroin addiction. And uh, it all started going downhill from that point. Thank you so much for sharing. So many people just getting into these addictions, not realizing the uh, the consequences of it. Mallory, what was your the most shameful moment during this period of time? The most shameful part during the heroin addiction was I didn't care about people. I only thought about myself all the time, but I wasn't doing anything to make this world a better place. I constantly asked myself what my purpose is, and yet I was doing no work. I was not being the person that I needed to be in order to discover what my purpose was. And um, I very much played the victim mentality of just, I was stuck in my trauma. I was stuck and dwelling in my trauma and I wasn't trying to heal it. I was covering it up and pushing it down and I didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to face it. Um, I ended up deciding I was going to be done. I got to the point, Anna, where I was like, looking around, we had drug dealers in our room, drugs going all over, meth, heroin, all the things. And I just, something in me was like, I'm done. I hadn't talked to my mom in nearly like nine months, except here or there, little texts of, oh, I got a new job. I'm busy with work. I'm busy with church or volunteering. It was always something. And um, I just decided I don't want to do this anymore. So I told my boyfriend, I'm done. And I laid in bed and I withdrawed for three days. And uh, it was terrible. And my boyfriend was like, I'm not doing that with you. Like, I'm going to keep using and sat in the room and used right there with me. They're like sitting there hurting. Mm -hmm. So finally, three days goes by. The withdrawal is finally over. I remember that morning like it was yesterday because the window was cracked and it was the, it was Mother's Day of 2013. And I remember being able to actually smell the lawn being mowed outside and feeling the breeze because I had been so numb for so long because of the heroin and oxy. Um, I called my mom right then. I was crying and I was like, mom, I love you. I'm so sorry. Like, I want to see you for Mother's Day. And she's like, okay, let's go to breakfast with your sister. We ended up meeting for breakfast that morning. Did she know what was happening to you? Did she know about drugs at all? So yeah, um, she didn't know what was going on. I had mastered the art of manipulation. And um, I think that the mom's intuition in her knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. But there was a, an aspect of self-blame, almost like she didn't want to believe. To face it. What was happening. Right. And, um, and I totally get that now, you know, but yeah, she, she constantly tried to do everything she could to help me as far as just like, what's wrong with you? Like, she didn't know what drug I was on or what I was doing, but people would come up to her and tell her 
she was like, no, like Mal would never do that. Like, what are you talking about? And then she'd come ask me. And I had a full story of like, are you kidding mom? Why would you believe that? Like, I would never do that. Um, so I had her fold for a while. Um, but she finally found out April. So a month before mother's day, when I was losing weight, dropping weight, like crazy. And she asked, she's like, Mal, like, how are you losing weight so fast? And I told her I was on the slim fast diet. And, uh, she mm -hmm. knew at that point that something was more wrong. Um, so mother's day comes up. I spend the day with my mom and my sister. I'm so happy. Finally, I'm out of the, the hands of a heroin addiction and I'm free. Um, I tell my mom, I want to come home. And so she goes, okay, go get your stuff from your boyfriend's house and your sister can go with you and you can move back in. And I was like, okay, thank you. So my sister and I start driving to my boyfriend's house to get my stuff. And the second I pull in the driveway, St. George SWAT hits my house and I'm thrown to the ground, put in cuffs. Um, and I go to jail. And I remember in that moment, just thinking like, what are the odds, right? Like I get away from the addiction itself and I'm free, but I'm in cuffs. I'm not free. And I realized that just because I made the decision to get clean, doesn't, that doesn't mean there isn't a price to pay for what I had already done, the decisions I had made. When you got caught and you also um, sharing the story in your book, when you were facing 30 years of jail, I think it was a bit later. How did it feel being, being there and, and waiting for the, for the judge to make this decision? At that point, all of it was just validating for me the beliefs right, that I had had from the beginning, um, that I was a failure. I couldn't do anything right. And the thoughts of, I'm never going to be able to be a mom. I'm never going to fall in love. Um, just knowing how different the person I would be coming out of prison than the person that went in um, scared me a lot. I had heard a lot of stories, you know, about how I had to be tough and this and that. And I'm 4'11". I'm like this small little, you know, feisty thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I stood there before the judge and I had just gotten to the point where I had accepted that this was my, like, this is what was going to happen. Um, death seemed like a better option for me. There was multiple moments of suicidal thoughts of like, I don't want to go to prison. I'm just going to use as heavy as I can. And hopefully I die before I have to go. Um, but that didn't happen. And as the judge is about to sentence me, a man opens the courtroom doors, a man I had never met before. And he asks to speak to the judge and the prosecution. They stand up there and talk for a while. And the judge looks at me and goes, Jacobs, I don't know what Chuck thinks he can do for you. We've, you've failed drug court. You've failed inpatient treatment. You've failed IOP. Um, but I'm going to give him a chance. I'm putting you on a three-year private probation. And that man not only became the closest thing to a father figure I've ever had, 
not only did he teach me how to love myself without needing a man to do that, he taught me how to be independent. He taught me how to stand up for myself. He taught me the value of picking a partner. And his love for his wife is something that was so beautiful. Like he was so amazing to her. And that's what I wanted. You know, that was what I was going to go for. And yeah, within six months, he completely changed my life. My mom ended up um, relapsing. And right as I got my 90-day chip, I was so excited to tell her. I ran home from an NA meeting and I get upstairs looking for her and she's not home. And my phone had died at the meeting. So I plugged it in and I called Chuck to try to tell him about my 90-day chip and how excited I was. And he didn't answer. All of a sudden, my aunt calls and I can tell she's just distraught on the phone. And she tells me, Mel, your mom is relapsed. And I just remember my knees buckling and falling to the floor. And I was so angry. I was so angry. Like we were finally there. And um, Chuck ended up calling me that night and I told him what happened and he stayed on the phone with me all night. And I was so lucky to lay my head down 91 days clean that night. But everything I needed, Chuck taught me through love and inspiration. I remember him asking me one day in his office, why did you fail all these programs? And all I could say was, I'm just, I want to be inspired, not punished. Like, I already hate myself. I already know all my flaws. I already know what's mm -hmm. wrong with my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Show me what's good. Show me what's worth fighting for. Like, help me rewire my belief system that's been broken from a young age. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. You know what? When I was reading this book and I, when I was uh, listening to your story back in Utah, I've realized how important it is to have people in your life who believe in you and who support you. Because I remember myself, I, I didn't tell anyone what was happening to me, a part of one, one of my girlfriends, but she also got scared. So our, uh, <laughs> it, stays it stayed between us. And I thought I'm so strong, I will be able to do this in my own. <laughs> now I'm realizing, <laughs> no way. You need someone who, who can hold your hand in the most difficult situations. Absolutely. And I just wanted to ask you, now looking... Uh, through your own eyes, at your own experience, for parents whose kids are going through a similar situation, how to recognize what was happening to them and what to do? The very first most important thing and advice that I would say to a parent that is struggling um, with a child or anyone in their family in addiction is as parents, we're protectors. And 
that tends to come across as control sometimes. We want our kids, right, to be protected um, and, and have a good life and not go through anything we went through. The reality is we cannot protect them every time they leave the house. And most of the time, people who are in addiction are influenced by friends or just people that they spend a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. And you, as a parent, we can't be there by their side saying, no, don't believe that. No, don't, don't listen to that. No, don't try that. The best thing that we can do as parents is keep an open, honest line of communication. Mm-hmm. So for me, I want my girls to be able to come to me no matter what and, and talk to me and ask me questions because I believe the more knowledge and the more we can prepare them for what they might, you know, come across and how to handle it if they do, that's where the difference is made from us as parents. Allow your child to come to you. And when they come to you with something that just, you just want to scream and be pissed off about, don't, don't make them feel unsafe. Don't make them feel like they cannot come to you and have a safe place to be honest, because that's how they're going to, that's how parents are going to find the answers. Um, is building a bond with the, with their child that no matter what choices you make as a child, I'm here for you. And um, we're going to get through them together. Um, the second thing is know the difference between enabling and love. Love is the biggest resource that an addict has, right? So mm-hmm. I know my mom loves me. And in my addiction, if I was like, Wah, wah, mom, like, I don't have any gas. Here's gas money, right? Mm -hmm. Mom, Mm -hmm. I don't have a place to stay. Mom, I'm hungry. Like, she loves me enough to want to nurture and protect, just Mm -hmm. like a parent is built to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But what parents don't realize is when you're giving them gas money, when you're giving them food, when you're giving them a place to stay, you're helping them save more money for their addiction. You're taking out all the responsibility and all the obstacles that are keeping them from getting high. You're, and if we can have an awareness of what enabling is versus what is love, you can love and be there for your child without feeding their addiction. And uh, learning the difference is huge. Mal, I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I don't have kids. But uh, even I understand it's so hard to do not give your child food and uh, shelter. It's so hard because I would rather my child to to stay at home and save this money rather than being somewhere outside and doing I don't know what. In I think in this situation, it's very important for parents to to get help as well and i'm sure there are so many facilities uh you can find yes yeah alanon is a group specifically for teaching parents um how to deal with this and showing parents that that they're not alone um and how to handle it in a healthy way that could potentially save their child and it's crazy because like I understand this concept because I've been through it, Mm -hmm. but for those who haven't, 
saying no to your child for shelter and food could save their life. Mm. Some of the best lessons that I learned was when I was living at a homeless shelter. Mm. That is when I realized how deep and dark my addiction was. Because listen, if I'm at home and I'm using, right, life Mm. is great. Like Mm. I'm safe. I'm fed. I don't have to worry about anything. But guess what? When you're sitting in a shelter watching people who have been on in addiction for years and years and years, and they're going to die that way. You're sitting there on a metal bunk bed, shaking cold and hungry. Mm. You're going to start rethinking. You're going to start thinking, is this how I want to live my life? That's is this gold. what I want to do? This is but parents, parents, the protection, giving them a safe place to make bad decisions mm. is mm. only going to keep them doing it. Mm-hmm. There's no danger. I'm so glad I've asked this question because as a parent, you don't see this perspective. You just, you, you worry what is happening to your child. Right. And I just wanted to add something to this. A third thing is to be curious, to be curious. What is your child is doing? How is she or he feeling? Where is he or she? Because I remember myself um I was trying to tell my mom what was happening I was so scared to tell her directly but I was uh trying to tell her by begging he begging her do not leave me alone with my stepfather if she would pursue and if she would start asking more and more questions in a non-judgmental way Mallory I would open up I just want to say like I have been through a similar situation um, when I was six and I was so distorted in the mind that they deemed my testimony inconclusive because my story kept changing because my brain was too young to identify what was happening. Mm -hmm. And what happens in our brain is when we go through something and it doesn't make sense right? Or it's wrong where all our brain will do is replay it over and over and over because what our brain is trying to do is find the glitch. It's Mm -hmm. trying to find what's not connected to understand the why. Mm -hmm. And that's where people can get stuck. So like, I'm so proud of you for like being able to talk about it because so many parents and people are so shameful and don't want to talk about it, or they're scared of being judged, or they don't want people to know that their life isn't perfect, right? Like they start shoving it down or they just stop talking about it. But by talking about it, you're taking your power back. Mm -hmm. You're saying, listen, I'm not going to stay in this place. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to keep control by trying to convince me of something that I know is not true. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to to have the courage to say the hard things because it will inspire so many other people that are suffering in silence. Yes. Mallory, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from Chuck? Oh, man. I don't think I mentioned this. So I'll just tell your viewers. Um, my hero died the day before my wedding or I got called to go see him um, the day before my wedding. Um, Hospice was taking him 
off all the IVs and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I had been calling him three months before to ask him to walk me down the aisle, but obviously he was busy. Um, so when I went to visit him, I sat there and I just couldn't stop bawling. Like I finally had someone that loved me the way that I had always wanted and had been there for me and, and really truly like reignited my belief in good because all I had seen is bad for so long. And he said, Mal, I need you to make me a promise. I need you to promise me to tell your story. And I told him I promise. And I knew that day walking out that door that that was going to be the very last time that I saw my hero. And I went from the worst day in my life to the best day in my life. And I miss him every day. Every day. Because I can never, no matter how many books I sell or podcasts I do or stages I step on, I can never, never repay him for what he gave me. And not only was that a heart that is so genuinely in love with helping people, but a mind that knows how to identify negative thoughts and work through them, but also to be the mom that I am today, I couldn't have done without him teaching me how to love myself and, and helping me identify underlying causes early on. The biggest lesson that I learned from Chuck was that underlying causes can be identified early on. Addiction doesn't have to happen, but we have to have enough people aware of what to look for to keep mm -hmm. it from happening. And that's, that's why I started targeting high schools. My story started in high school. And if someone would have stood on a stage and said, hey, these things could lead you to this, mm -hmm. I would have started at like, even if, you know, at that young mind, like you're like, oh, it'll never happen to me. It's in the back of your mind. When you hear something like that, again, that you don't really recollect yet because your brain is amateur, as you grow and you start going through those things, you're able to recognize them. And I just, I think that we just need more people aware and willing to listen to other people and be there for other people without judgment. I feel like it's kind of hard here because we live in one of the most judgmental states, I feel like. And it's hard because everything's swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've had more people die in my life in the last year than I ever did throughout my actual addiction. And it's so hard to not be able to save everybody. And that's the hard truth. Not everyone is going to make it. And we don't know who are the ones that won't. And that's why it's so important to be there for everyone you meet, because we meet everyone for a reason. And I just want to be a Chuck for other people, you know, and that's why I wrote this book, because I can't be in a million 
places at one time, but I definitely can put this book um, anywhere that I can help people. And the very, one of the very first chapters in there is to the parents of an addict. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm glad you asked about the parent thing because that's where it starts, right? Like children are Mm -hmm. born pure. Mm -hmm. They're born loving themselves. It's the world and the society that we live in that, that damages them. And as a parent, we're there to remind them of the purity that they were, they were born with, right? You don't earn that. You don't, you don't earn love. You're born loved. And uh, we forget that. And yes. so Chuck never one day let me go without knowing how much he cared about me. And um, the last thing he said on his deathbed was, Mal, you were never a lost cause. And so, yeah, I hope this book helps as many people as I can. And I hope it starts spreading. And my next step, I'm going to try to make it a movie if I can. Wow. <laughs> so we'll see where it goes. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, yes, what's next? Because there is so much things we so many things we can do. Before we go, where people can find you? So I am on Facebook, I am on Instagram, um, under Roosh Recovery, R-U-E-S-C-H Recovery. Um, I also have my book on Amazon as an ebook. If you would prefer a paperback, I will be putting that on Amazon today, but you can order it from my website on rooshrecovery.com. Also, I have I Choose to Live hats, hoodies, shirts, um, because that's what it's about. It's about choosing to live every single day. And, uh, any type of announcements that I have as far as more Utah Healing Success Summits, mm-hmm. those will be put on there. Um, there's also a huge resource page um, of tons of phone numbers for parents or people that need help, even addicts that need help. Um, there's also a place to contact me directly if anyone has any questions. I'm, I answer all my emails personally. So, Amazing. Do you have any concluding thoughts, Mallory? Yes. Your condition is not your conclusion. It doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what you've been through and it doesn't matter how many people have tried to destroy you because you are in power of where you wanna go and what you wanna do. And don't ever let fear keep you or make you think that you can't do anything that you dream to do because I never would have thought this is what I would be doing. And I'm so thankful that it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Mallory Roche. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower or how to connect with me best, go to annaditchburn.com. This journey isn't possible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe, and review the podcast. 
so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.